Well, I am excited to dive in today. Uh, we're continuing our series on the book of Proverbs, and specifically on Proverbs chapter 3. It's titled, The Blessings of Wisdom. And last week we looked at blessed decisions and a formula that God has given us to have blessed decisions. We talked about the three wills of God, the providential will, the moral will, the personal will, and how you can discover that. And uh, we talked about guardrails, how that providential will of God and the moral will of God form guardrails for our life, and His personal will for us will always be in between that. And so maybe you've had an opportunity in the past week to share that with someone, explain that to someone, or maybe just apply that to your life in a personal setting or personal uh, way. And finally, we discussed this idea about decisions that the best decision you can make is to follow Jesus Christ, to follow Him closely, to be in step with His Spirit, and to move through life. That is God's personal will for each and every one of us. And today we're going to be talking about blessed finances. I let that slip in the last in the first service last week, and you came anyway, so good for you. Um, I didn't mention it in the second service, so we'll see how the percentages compare, uh, but uh, no, we're going to be talking about blessed finances, and uh, we're going to continue with this formula that we have seen of an exhortation and a blessing that follows, and we'll see that here today. And just to give you a little bit of roadmap for the next couple of weeks, next week we'll be concluding this series. And we'll be coming back to the New Testament on September 12th uh, with a message series titled Loving Like Jesus. Uh, We've been on this theme with the Banding Together journals that uh, Pastor Zach mentioned in the opening prayer. And uh, this is a great time to re-engage or to engage those maybe for the first time. Uh, Begin reading a chapter or two of God's Word every day, interacting with it. We encourage you to do this at least four times a week. All kinds of wonderful things happen in your life if you're engaging Scripture and applying it to your life at least four times a week. Something magical happens between three times a week and four times a week. So that's why we really push four times a week to be in the Word daily, to be in your journals four times a week, to meet with a small group and discuss that. We have banding together groups that Pastor Zach mentioned as well. So if you want any information about that, come see me right after the service. We have the journals here and available. I can outline all that for you and make sure you understand it. And if you're interested in getting in a group, we can help you with that too. So today we are... Uh, looking at blessed finances. And a few little disclaimers, okay? First of all, I'm not going to beat you up. I promise. I mean, we've all got some wounds and some scar tissue from well-intentioned but maybe poorly executed messages on giving. I'm also not going to present the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel approach that, you know, just sow a little extra into the ministry here at Linwood and God will bless you abundantly. Um, That's not where I'm planning to go. And a fun caveat in all of this that I reflected on this week is that often in my 11 years of ministry, when I've talked about money, it was because I kind of had to, because we had been looking at the finances in the elders' meeting, and I said, boy, Pastor, I think we really need a sermon on tithing, a sermon on giving, a sermon encouraging people to be faithful and to catch up if they've gotten behind. And there was often a number of reasons for that. Maybe not enough was coming in. Maybe too much was going out. In a few cases, it was both. Not enough was coming in and too much was going out. And so there was often pressure on me. There was tension for me as I broached the subject 
Um, and, you know, people would say, well, the church just needs my money. I'm not going to give for that. And it was hard because we actually did need their money. <laughs> and so it's really nice to be standing on the stage today at the healthiest church that I have ever worked for, the healthiest financial, financially um, that I have ever been a part of. Linwood has a long tracker of strong, fiscally conservative approach to finances. We are completely debt-free. Um, that's the first church that I've ever been a part of that could say that. Um, and, and we are focused on allocating our resources missionally. So what comes into us and goes out from us is very strategic and very focused. And uh, if anything... I owe you an apology. And the Lord laid this on my heart. He said, if anything, Mark, you haven't talked about money enough in your time at Linwood. And some of that might be from, you know, scar tissue from my first church that I was in. It was a massive building campaign, $20 million project. We talked about money a lot. The second church was deeply in debt to the point that we moved across the country and weren't 100% sure that they could make payroll <laughs> several times in, in that uh, church. The third church was deeper in debt, and over 80% of the money that came in was going to the building and going to payroll, and there was very, very little leeway in that. And so uh, there was a little bit of a breather when I came to a church that had done very well with finances, had been very conservative, had built margin in, had been intentional. So I'm not talking about money today because we need it. Rather, I'm talking about money today because we, as God's people, need to give it. We need to understand His will for us, His will for our finances, and He does not ask us or command us to give to Him because He needs it, as we'll see. He knows we need to give it. He knows that there is a blessing. And so as we look at Proverbs chapter 3, you can turn to page 987. We're going to read this passage, the broader passage again, as a little bit of a reminder of where we've been, able to focus on where we're going uh, today, and see it in the broader context that so much of life intersects this passage. And we'll see that over and over in this passage, there is an exhortation from a parent to a child, or as I like to see it, from God to us, His children, and then that is followed by a blessing. And we have to understand God has such a desire to bless us, and not just financially, to bless us in our relationships, to bless us in our decision-making, to bless us emotionally and spiritually. His desire has always been to bless us, which is why the first message in this series was titled An Invitation to Abundance. He wants us to have an abundant life. And so as we look at Proverbs 3, this starts to sound familiar almost to where you could kind of relate this to somebody else. That's part of the strategy here in reading this multiple times. But he says, my son, my daughter, my child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, tie, write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And so today, as we focus on verse 9 and 10, there's an exhortation in verse 9, and there is a blessing in verse 10. So as we look at that exhortation in verse 9, this is God speaking to us and saying, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Let's look at that maybe word by word or phrase by phrase. To honor means literally to be weighty or heavy. I didn't know that necessarily. I've heard of the weight of glory, and that word that's translated here as honor is often translated as glorify or give glory to. And so there's a word picture here as we consider our finances. God is saying to us, give God weight in this area of your life. Glorify God in this area of your life, in your finances. You know, Jesus said that... um, It just left my mind. I'll come back to that. Because there's two categories in play here. There's wealth and there's first fruits. There's wealth and there's first fruits. What Jesus said is you cannot serve both God and money. You'll either love one and hate the other or you'll hate one and love the other. And so some commentators have even said it's impossible to be right with God and wrong with money. Because in order to be right with God, we have to have a right relationship with money. We have to understand how God designed money to work. In fact, Jesus spoke so much about money that if the average pastor spoke as much about money as Jesus did, you'd probably leave that church. Some commentators have assigned as many as 38% of his parables as having something to do, some lesson to do with finances and how we regard them and our stewardship. And so, God is saying here, honor me, give me weight, glorify me in this area of your life. And the area is broken down into two categories, wealth and first fruits. Now, wealth has to do with sufficiency and possessions and basically what you have accumulated. That is your wealth. First fruits has to do with our income. Now, there are a few farmers in Linwood, but the vast majority of us are no longer tied to a plot of land and what it can produce. That was not the case for the original audience here. The vast majority of the original audience, their well-being, their income came from the land, from what they could raise, from animals or from crops. And so wealth is what we've accumulated. First fruits is the income or the produce that comes in to us. And as the word first would indicate, it's the first part. It's the first fruits. And so there's a whole lot about this that I don't have time to go into, but the first fruits offering was tied to the festival of the harvest, which came at the beginning of the harvest and was an opportunity to celebrate the first fruits that came in. And it's interesting to consider that Jesus himself is referred to as the first fruits of salvation in 1 Corinthians 15, and that we as believers are referred to as the first fruits of Christ's salvation in 2 Thessalonians 2 and in James 1. 
And so the idea here is that your income, so if it's not pigs and wheat and something else, today it's your income, it's your paycheck. It's the money that comes in. It's that which God brings to you. And we're to give the first and the best part of our income to him. Now, oftentimes when I talk about tithing, somebody will say, well, now am I supposed to tithe on the gross or the net? Really good question, you know. Let's get right down to the nitty-gritty. And I'll often say, well, how much did God provide? Well, I guess he kind of provided the gross, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I think he, for me personally, we tithe off the gross. I don't get down into that with people. I don't think, you know, you're going to heaven if you tithe on the gross, and we're not so sure if you're tithing on the net. We're not talking about that, okay? We're talking about what did he provide, and if he provided it, we want to give based off of that. And so I tip my hand a little bit, but the next question might be as we think about honoring God in these areas with our wealth and our first fruits is how much? How much do we give? Does the Bible tell us? And the biblical standard is a tithe. It's a tenth. It, I think God just wanted to make the math really easy because a twelfth, you get into decimal points, or if it was an eighth, you know, now we're, so he's like, I just want to make it really simple for you. If a thousand comes in, drop a zero, give a hundred back. If 10,000 comes in, drop a zero, give a thousand back. He just made it really, really simple because he knew we weren't great with math and, and, you know, people have existed for a long time without calculators in their pockets, so he just really wanted to make it easy. Ten bushels comes in, give one back. A hundred bushels come in, drop a zero, give ten back. And so that is the biblical standard, and it starts before God commands it. That's what's so beautiful about this. If you look up tithe or tenth in a concordance or just a biblical search, you'll find that the first person who tithed was Abram, way back before he was Abraham. He was Abram, and he gave a tithe, a tenth of all that had come in, all the spoils of his war with the five kings um, when he rescued Lot, and he gave a tenth to Melchizedek priest of God Most High, serving at Salem. So he was like the first high priest. He pointed to Jesus. He was ministering at Salem, which is the Jerusalem. Um, so it's very clear. That he was giving this back to God. He was voluntarily tithing to God. It was continued by Jacob. Now, don't miss this. When Abram gives a tithe, a tenth to God, it's at the end of Genesis chapter 14. At the beginning of Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram and promises that he will bless all nations through him. Once again, renews that promise. Now, in Genesis 28, 22, Jacob, as he's leaving to go get a wife and kind of fleeing from his brother that he swindled, he promises, commits to give God a tenth of all he receives. And God makes a covenant with Jacob. Now Moses reiterates this concept of tithing, teaches on it extensively in Deuteronomy 14 and Deuteronomy 26. And Deuteronomy is a commencement address that Moses gives the people of Israel before they enter into the promised land. So there's significance. These are always coming at pivotal moments. And perhaps the one that you've heard the most when we're talking about finances, Malachi chapter 3. And if you go to Malachi chapter 3 and you turn two pages, you're in Matthew. Malachi comes at the very end of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, 
and it teaches specifically on tithing, probably as pointedly as any other passage. And then we move into the New Testament, into the New Covenant. And that is not a coincidence. Maybe once or twice, but not four times. And Jesus, some people say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about tithing, so I don't think we're supposed to do it anymore. He actually did verbatim say about tithing in Matthew 23. He's railing on the Pharisees, and uh, they are... They've earned it, okay? He doesn't do this very often. But he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected more weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So he's not doing away with tithing. He, did not, he said clearly, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. And the point that he's making here is that you tithe even on your spices, which they're really light. It's a contrast, but you neglect the way to your matters. And so some people have taken that to interpret, well, that means we don't have to tithe anymore. We just need to focus on what are the way to your matters here, mercy, faithfulness, and justice. But he says clearly, you should have practiced the former. You should keep doing that. You should be doing that. But don't neglect the latter. And so we see this throughout Scripture. We see this throughout the Old Testament. We see Jesus talking about it. We see Paul teaching on it. And he expands to generosity and being a cheerful giver. And some people say, well, the, you know, the biblical standard is generosity now. It's like, well, is generosity more or less than what was required? I think if you get out your dictionary, you're going to find generosity has to do with more, has to do with abundance, has to do with excess. And so Paul is making a very clear point that, yes, we were commanded to tithe in the past, but now out of gratitude for what God has done through Jesus Christ for us, we give generously. We go beyond that. We give with liberality, he says, and we do so with cheerful hearts. So that's just a little biblical sketch on tithing. But you might be wondering, okay, why, why do I have to tithe? Why are we commanded to tithe? Why is this even in there in the first place? And so there's three answers. There's probably more. We're going to look at three right here. But first and foremost, God commands it. That's why we tithe, because God commands it, because God only wants our good he only ever wants to bless us and for our good, and so he commands us to tithe. In Malachi 3, 8 and 9, he asked the question, will you rob God? You see, the nation was under a curse. They, their crops were failing. There was a drought. Things were going terribly. They were uh, receiving pressure from foreign armies, and God says, you're under a curse. Will you rob God? Maybe you've heard a tithing message before where the pastor stomped around and pounded the table and said, we got some God robbers in the church today. Well, that's not my style, so I'm not going to do that. But he has commanded it, and he expects it to be done, and his commands are for our good. He's not commanded this to hurt us. He's not commanded this to deprive us of something important. He's commanded this because he knows that we need to do it. And second reason, it's all his anyway. It's all, it's all his. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone in it. It's all his. It's all his stuff. None of it's, his, none of it's not his. I know it might be in an account with your name on it, but the bank is his. <laughs> the, the bricks and mortar, the people, everything in this world is his. It's all his. And James puts it this way. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. 
It's all his, and he gives it to us. It's an extension of who he is to give to us. And here's what's amazing about this is that, you know, he gives us a dollar, and he only asks for a dime back. So he gives us the dollar, and he says, give me a dime back. It's going to be good for you. I promise. It'll be good for you. It'll, it'll feed the Levites and the priests and the people. It will accomplish a purpose. There'll be food in my house, Malachi says. But you give, I give you a dollar, you give me a dime. Now, if anybody else makes me that offer, I will play that game all day. Any takers? We'll play the dollar-dime game. You give me a dollar, I'll give you a dime. I'll go get a whole bunch of dimes, okay? And you give me a dollar, and I'll give you a dime. And, and God says, you know, do this with me. And then, the third reason that we could say, and we'll look into because it's a perfect segue into the blessing that follows the exhortation, the third reason is that when we tithe, when we honor God with our wealth and our income, it unlocks further blessing and protection. It unlocks further blessing and protection. When we honor God with what we get and what grows which I failed to mention earlier, but that's essentially a summary of honoring God with our wealth and with our income. When we honor God with what we get and what grows, He promises additional blessing and He promises protection. So we see this in verse 10. He says, If you honor me with, my, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, in the Wesleyan church, that we translate new wine as grape juice, because um, we're kind of teetotalers. They decided a long time ago, and we poke fun about that every now and then, but I learned something interesting in my Wesleyan history and polity class that I was able to take in order to receive my ordination. And they said, you know why they prohibited drinking, and they prohibited gambling, and they prohibited other social things that maybe were not such a big part of Scripture? It's because they looked around, and they said, what is tearing apart our families? What is tearing apart our nation? What is tearing apart the church? And it was drinking, and it was gambling, and, you know, kids were going hungry because their parents spent the income at the bar, or they gambled it away, and they said, what if we had a family of people, a group of people that were against that, and said, we're not going to do that, and we're going to do this instead, and and we're going to invest those funds in the kingdom and, and taking care. So we have a little fun with that phrase, you know, new wine. Um, but I don't want you to miss seeing that this is an invitation to abundance. The exhortation leads to abundance. Your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a blessing, full to overflowing, full to the brim. And that is God's desire for us. That's his good desire for us. And that's why he, he tells us how to have blessed finances. Now, I've mentioned Malachi 3 and referenced it a couple times, but we really need to look at verse 10 and 11 here as we talk about the blessing and the protection that comes with honoring God with what we get and what grows. And so in Malachi 3.10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. It's an invitation. It's the only one we can find in Scripture where God says, test me in this. 
Try it out. Test me. And remember, Malachi is prophesying to a people who are under a curse because they have consistently denied God the tithe. They have found uh, that they're, they're in drought, their crops are failing, they're in pressure from foreign occupation, and God's saying, give this a try. Do what I commanded in the first place and see how it goes. And in this verse, you know, he promises to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour down a blessing that we can't even contain. And you know what we're supposed to do with the part that we can't contain? We give it away. We give over and above. It, it's intended to raise our standard of giving, not just our standard of living. Jesus talks about this in, in Luke chapter 12. You know, the rich fool who has an abundant harvest and he tears down his barns to build bigger barns so that he can keep it all for himself. And God says, no, 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 no. No. When you have abundance, you can increase your standard of giving. There's a great story about John Wesley when he started preaching. John Wesley, what the Wesleyan denomination is named after, when he started preaching, he was given a salary of about 50 pounds a year. And that wasn't a bad salary, but as he began to write books and as he began to sell those books and and publish those books, his income grew to over 1,500 pounds a year. Do the math on that. That's like 30 times. Imagine your income times 30. And he decided, I could live on 50. I don't need 1,500. And he gave the other 1,450 away. And he never became tied to that. He never became tied to that income. And I think it's a beautiful story of this idea. And there's a perspective shift that takes place when we begin to honor God with our income and our assets. When we begin to honor God with those things, It's a reminder that He is first. It's all His. And it makes us more generous people through the discipline of giving. And so if you take a financial peace university or you take a freed up financial living or one of the other biblically oriented courses, you'll probably hear the concept of 80-10-10 living. Has anybody ever heard of 80-10-10 living where you receive 100%, you live on 80, you give 10 to God, and you save 10? And this is how biblical stewardship works. We give the 10 to God, we save, and we build some margin into our lives, and we learn to live within our means. And I thought of an interesting way to illustrate this. This is a page with no margin. The words go right up to the edges. And a lot of us live our lives this way financially. When I was in financial sales and I was selling insurance to people and I would sit down with people that had $150,000 a year of combined income and they could only commit about $20 a year to term life insurance to protect it because they were bleeding off the page in every direction. They had, they had more debt than they could even service themselves with a great income. And so when a flat tire comes, when the car breaks down, when there's water in the basement... When anything happens and there's no margin, now you're going into debt. And wise biblical stewardship would say, have nothing to do with debt. There's a proverb that says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Don't enslave yourself to multiple people. And so this would be more of God's design for our our financial lives, that there would be margins. This is a one-inch margin around the text and one inch between the columns. So now there's margin. And if you have a loss of income... You just lose a little bit of margin and you work to get it back. Or if there's an unexpected expense, you you just lose a little bit of margin. You don't go into debt and further imperil yourself 
financially. And so this idea of 80-10-10 and living within your means and avoiding debt and getting out of it as fast as you can, that all works in the, in the peace of mind. And this breeds contentment. When you're giving God, you're honoring God. When you have money and savings and you're putting God first in your wealth and your finances, it, it breeds contentment. It creates contentment in your life. And you finally have enough. And they're wealthy people that do not honor God in their finances, and they never have enough. In fact, Solomon, who's writing Proverbs, also wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, kind of at the end of his life. And he was a little bitter, and he was a little negative, but he had a lot of wise things to say. And he says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, those who love money never have enough. They never have enough income. Those who love wealth never have enough. This, too, is meaningless. Now, a lot of things are meaningless in Ecclesiastes, but he drives this point home very well. When you love money, you never have enough. And I would say, when you love Jesus and you put him first in your life and you're seeking him in every area of your life, you'll never have enough of him either because you always want more. You always want a closer walk with Jesus, just a closer walk with thee. And another reason that we do this, that God wants us to do this, is, is to increase our standard of giving. There are some incredibly generous people in God's kingdom that have said, we have more than we need. Let's give the extra away. Let's help people. Let's bless people in their time of need. And I believe this is how God sort of designed it to work, that your excess becomes somebody else's provision. And so we experience that. We, Dave Ramsey has this great line, when you live like no one else, when you get out of debt, when you honor God with your finances, when you save and you live beneath your means, when you live like no one else, you'll be able to give like no one else. And there's so much joy in that giving. And I believe that's part of God's desire for us as well, that we would grow in the New Testament concept of generosity, that we're not confined by the tithe. We go beyond the tithe, and we experience the blessing and the joy that comes with meeting the needs of others, with blessing other people voluntarily. He talks in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about growing in the grace of giving. I love that phrase, the grace of giving, the ability to just, oh, you need new tires and you can't afford them? I can afford your tires, and you pay for their tires, or you bless them. We've been the recipients of this kind of blessing, and it's a joy to be a part of this kind of blessing. So that's the blessing. That's the full to overflowing and to the brim. But there's also protection that comes with that. Look at the next verse, Malachi 3.11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast your fruit, says the Lord Almighty. He's basically saying, I'll protect your income. I'll protect your assets. I'll protect your fields. You'll not just receive blessing, but you'll also receive provision. And this sermon series has been an interesting walk down memory lane, so to speak, as, as I've been preparing these messages. I've thought of powerful times in our lives when God spoke to us in these ways and in these subjects and really drove a point home. And so I have this umbrella here, and I will never forget the, the illustration of the umbrella of God's protection that was 
in the sermon on Malachi 3 one time, and it's so funny, I was thinking, I need to get an umbrella. I was like, I'll get the one out of my car, that way I can't forget to take it. And then I opened it up and I remembered, oh, this is the WIF, this is the Wesleyan Investment Foundation gift umbrella. Wesleyan Investment Foundation is who our mortgage was with before we paid it off here at Linwood, and they're a wonderful place to put your 10% if you don't like a lot of risk. They pay good money on deposit accounts that they then lend to churches who are expanding the kingdom. It's a win-win-win. But the blessing of God, also the protection of God, the umbrella of God's protection is basically saying you're under His covering. You're under His umbrella. And when the rains come, you'll stay dry. When the storms come, you're under the blessing and protection of God. And so the question becomes, do we want His blessing? Do we want His protection? The people that Malachi is speaking to are in desperate need of rain. The nation as a whole had failed in giving and honoring God with their finances, with their wealth. And he says, your crops won't fail. Return to me. Test me in this. Watch the blessing come. And not only will you be blessed, but the other nations will see you and call you blessed. And it'll be an opportunity to testify to them where that blessing comes from and bring them into the family of God, perhaps. And so our bottom line today is that when you tithe on what you get and what grows, God guards and grows what you got. I know that the grammar is a little ambiguous, but it just sounded so much better than what you have. Because when, when you tithe, when you honor God with what you get and what grows... He guards and grows what you got. Pastors have to do this at least once a year. We got to go with alliteration, right? Like something happens in us if we don't get a nice, good, alliterative bottom line every now and then. But I hope that drives the point home, and I hope you see the, the relationship between us honoring God and Him guarding and growing what we have. And so as we seek to apply this to our lives, I know that there's a broad spectrum in a room this size, in a group this size. There are people in this room, some of us know this truth, and we have experienced it personally. There are many people at Linwood who honor God with their wealth and their first fruits. There are many people at Linwood who have been faithful with the tithe and have even given over and above the tithe. I was so blessed when the first round of stimulus checks came out, and several people called in and said, you know, we got the stimulus check, we don't need it. Do you know somebody who's out of work? Do you know somebody who's, who's going through a difficult financial situation? We'll just pass it on to them through the church. What a blessing, going above and beyond. There are those that have experienced this blessing and protection and abundance. And I would say that Linwood has experienced this blessing and protection and abundance. Linwood has faithfully, in the time that I've been here, we've always given at least 20%. We give 10% to, to our denomination to further the kingdom through their work, and we give over 10% to our missions partners to expand the kingdom around the world here in Sioux Falls and in places like Africa and China. And there are those in this room who have experienced the contentment that comes with that lifestyle with that standard of financial living, of honoring God. And they have enough. And they've grown in the grace of giving. And they've become increasingly generous. Now, there are some that are still growing in this. They maybe give regularly or they give frequently. 
but not at the tithe level. And as we move into application, I really want to mention the difference between conviction and condemnation. I talk about this every now and then. I meant to say something at the beginning of the service because you have an enemy. We all understand that. We have an enemy that doesn't want you to hear this message. We have an enemy that doesn't want you to know the grace of giving, that doesn't want you to experience financial margin, that doesn't want you to experience all the blessings that God has. And so he'll come into a message like this and fill your mind with all kinds of garbage or condemnation or cynicism. And we don't ever want to confuse that with Holy Spirit conviction. And so if you're still growing in this area, Understand that there may be conviction right now, but that God never deals in, con- in condemnation. And so maybe there are some that are giving at a regular level, but not at a tithe. And I would just encourage you to trust God, to test God in this area, and to strive to reach that biblical standard. Don't stop there, but strive to get there, to get to that biblical standard. Maybe you need to automate the important. You need to just make it a regular thing. That's what we do just so we can't forget. Money comes in, money goes out. It's automatic. We've automated the important. I don't want to forget to pay my mortgage, so we've automated that so that I can't mess that up and we can't end up out on the street. It's important to us to have a place to live, so we've automated the important. And maybe that's a, a, maybe it goes out as soon as it comes in. I think that was part of God's design. And so now... It's taken care of. And you can do that through our church center app. You can regulate your giving. You can regularly give those funds. And there are probably some in this room that are giving very little or infrequently or not at all. And maybe there's even some that will hear this message and you can't imagine giving 10%. Are you kidding me? I run out of money before I run out a month on a regular basis. I'm paycheck to almost paycheck. I'm not, I don't have 10%. I don't have the margin. I'm still here. There's no margin for tithing. There's no margin for generosity. And you're saying, I'm barely making it. I would encourage you to start in faith with 1%. Automate the important, make it regular. You know what comes in? Set it up so that 1% goes to the storehouse. That's your local church family. And we can help you in that. And start with 1%, and then next year double it. And then year after that, double it. And in four years, you can be basically a tither. Giving 8%, get to 10%, grow in the grace of giving, grow in generosity. Maybe think about Changing the sentence, I can't because, to I could if. I can't because I got all these bills, I got all all this debt, I got all these problems, to I could if. I could if I canceled the cable. I could if I didn't get a new cell phone every year. I could if I didn't eat out as much or didn't go to Starbucks every day or your coffee place of choice. Or maybe on the positive side, maybe I could if I got a budget and I built that into the budget and I allocated where I wanted my funds to go and how I wanted them to be invested in God's kingdom. Maybe I could if I got a budget put together or maybe I could if I got a little extra income. 
I remember somebody at my church in West Virginia, they started mowing lawns so that they could begin to honor God in their finances. We don't have much margin right now, but I could mow lawns on Saturdays, and that would be enough that we could start percentage giving. It was a longer growing season, so it worked. And I loved that. Not I can't because, I, I could if, and become a cheerful giver. And once you get there, continue towards the 80-10-10. Continue towards having some savings. Continue towards something like a financial peace university process where you build margin into your life, where you grow in the grace of giving, you grow in generosity. But I hope everyone here, I hope everyone listening to this will take a next step in their finances. As the worship leaders come up and and prepare to, to close us, I believe every person, every time we encounter God's word, there is a next step for us. There's an exhortation that's followed by a blessing. And I firmly believe that God wants every single one of us to have blessed finances, not to be billionaires taking flights into space, but to be comfortable, to be content, to have enough, to be able to be generous. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you for your will for us. We thank you that you desire blessing for us. That you desire for us to be content. To feel and to understand that we have enough. To honor you with our wealth and our income. And so I pray, God, that you break down any walls. That your spirit would guide us towards honoring you in this area, that we might receive the blessing that you desire for us to have. Be with us now as we respond in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray.